Okay, welcome back. I hope everybody is okay. Uh, today, we're going to read further, actually the last sutta of the second chapter, Chulavaga, of the uh, Sutta Nipata 71 suttas. This is called Dhamika Sutta. And you might remember a few weeks ago, there was the Brahmana Dhamika Sutta, um, which was... Uh, called Brahman principles, so this could be called principles, or uh, Tanisaro writes it as the proper code of conduct for lay followers of the Dhamma. Uh, Actually, the sutta has two parts. One is um, basic guidance, uh, moral guidance, sort of rules or code of conduct, uh, shila to be observed uh, for both monks and then laymen. And uh, at the end, uh, so what I'm going to do today is uh, read both translations, or at least draw, I'll, I'll be based in Tanisaro's translation of Dhamika Sutta, supplementing it with uh, the excerpts uh, from John Ireland's translation, uh, reference filled in with um, more from Mingun Saya Venerable, Mingun Saya Da's great chronicle of Buddhas, uh, as to a discussion of Uposata. Uposata has multiple meanings, and one of them is actually certain days of the month in a Buddhist co- community or country in which both monks and laymen, lay Buddhists and Buddhist monks and nuns, uh, participate in certain kind of um, moral um, strengthening practice by reciting the monk's code and um, for the laymen, lay people, uh, going really much from the five panchashila to the eight atashila. Atta is eight, like octo. Octagon is an eight-sided figure. Octo came from Atta in Sanskrit, it seems. And so Atta Shila is eight Shila. Pancha Shila, Panka Shila is five Shila. And those are presented, uh, the five goes to the eight in the second part of this sutta uh, as the basic uh, Upasata or moral code Shila uh, to be observed by the lay people. Um, only on those days, particularly, I mean, people can do it all year round, but in the Buddhist country, again, um, or community, uh, on the full moon, on the half moon, or the new moon and the full moon, and then midway too, it can be that there's these are called Uposata days. And so Mingun Sayadaw's write-up includes all of that. It's very detailed. But there's something particular I want to read from it, uh, where practice of metta, uh, loving kindness, right, or um, um, heartful care, uh, is considered the ninth f- shila. The, the, so there's five, there's eight, and then in some understanding, some understandings of uh, shila or moral codes. Uh, we have nine. There's also a ten. And the nine is the eight plus one. The one is metta. 
and it's said that sila, or these five or eight moral codes or recommendations are to be observed, while metta, loving-kindness, is to be cultivated and uh, developed. And so that's very interesting. So I'll, I'll talk about that. And so let's look at first the very brief uh, rundown or um, summary of the sutta from Wisdom Lib page definition Dhammika Sutta. It's point two. Um, there was an Upasaka, Upasaka, who was a layman named Dhammika. So the Dhammika Sutta is also the sutta associated with his question to Gautama. So the write up says Dhammika Upasaka, or layperson, layman, with 500 others visits the Buddha at Jetavana, Jetavana, singing his praises and asking what should be the life of the monk and what that of a householder, meaning lay person. The Buddha proceeds to lay down the course of conduct, meaning sila, uh, for monks, course of conduct to be followed by a monk and the virtues to be cultivated by a layman. And again, it's you can say virtues to be cultivated, um, but Mingon Sayadaw... Um, Specifies. I mean, he's you know the man of great great memory and mind. That shila is to be observed and metta is to be cultivated. So you don't really cultivate sila. You you actually just restrain yourself and try not to do any form of them that is harmful to self and other. Then it says the commentary adds that these upasakas, meaning lay people, were all anagamins meaning they were all, um, um, I believe, um, non-returners, third stage, who on the day in question had taken the upasata vows, meaning to follow actually the eight sila observances on those days of the month. During the middle watch of the night, the question of the difference between the life of a monk and that of the layman occurred to them, and then they sought the Buddha. And they asked the question about what should the monk cultivate and observe, and what about the layperson? And it's a very straightforward sutta. Uh, it's not um, radical <laughs> or uh, uh, remarkable in a sense, uh, some of the translation of Tanasaro brings in um, very subtle teaching uh, about how Gautama is understood and the nature, the, the, the deeper understanding of uh, any one of these forms of sila, what the monk observes, what the layperson observes, uh, to help, and I think it was very interesting to me just to see some of the nuances um, that came out with Tanasaro's translation. And so I'll read it through, called Dhammika Sutta, uh, Chapter 2, Sutta 14 of Sutta Napata. Uh, Thus have I heard, or I have heard, that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying near Savati in Jetta's grove, that's Jetavana, Anatta Pindika's monastery. And that was the given to Gautama and the Sangha. Then Dhammika, the lay follower, together with 500 other lay followers, approached the Blessed One and, on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. 
as he was sitting there, he addressed the Blessed One in verses. And so the first half is his uh, questioning and praise of Gautama. Gautama. The second half of the sutta is Gautama's reply, which can be understood first talking about monks and then talking about lay people. And here's where some of the interesting words <laughs> come in, uh, tra- interesting translation um, of some of Gautama, of, of uh, Upasata, or um, not Upasapa, but uh, Upasaka, uh, lay person Dhamika, uh, how he speaks to Gautama. And he says, I ask you, Gautama, deeply discerning, meaning uh, that's a title, I ask you, Gautama, deeply discerning, how acting does one become a good disciple? Either one gone from home into homelessness, meaning monk, or a lay follower with a home meaning of home and family. For you discern the destination and future course of the world along with its devas. There is no one equal to you in seeing the subtle goal, for they call you foremost awakened. Understanding all knowledge, the whole Dhamma, you proclaim it to beings with sympathetic mind. Your roof opened up all around I, you, stainless, illumine the whole world. He came, and this is referencing others who've questioned Gautama. He came to your presence, Era, it's Eravana, the Naga king. I'll explain all of this. This was a, a deity, or you know, a higher dimensional being. He came to your presence, Eravana, the Naga king, having heard conqueror, having consulted with you, having heard. He understood and satisfied thought good. And King Vesavana Kuvera came, inquiring about the Dhamma. To him too you spoke when asked, and he too, having heard, was satisfied. And these sectarians, debaters by habit, whether Ajivakas or Nigantas, these are two different sects, Niganta is actually a Jain, Jainist, Jain follower. These Ajivakas or Nigantas don't overtake you in terms of discernment, as a person standing up doesn't catch up with one going quickly. And these Brahmins, debaters by habit, and elderly Brahmins, and any others who consider themselves debaters, all depend on you for the meaning. For this Dhamma is subtle and blissful, this, blessed one, well set forth by you, we all want to hear it. Tell it to us, excellent awakened, when asked. All these monks are sitting together, and the lay followers right there to hear. Let them listen to the Dhamma awakened to by one who is stainless, as the devas listen to Vasavant's well-spoken word. <clears throat> Vasavant is uh, another term for Shakya, the king king of the devas in a particular <laughs> dimension called the heaven of the 33. Um, and I'll get into, we can't get into that too much, but that's uh, uh, Buddhist cosmology. So Gautama replies and he says, Listen to me, monks. I will let you hear the Dhamma of polishing away. Live by it, also translated as remember it, all of you. May those who are thoughtful, seeing the purpose, partake of the duties proper for one gone forth. That means a monk. 
gone forth, a monk nun, gone forth from the home to the homeless life. A monk should surely not wander at the wrong time. He should go for alms in the village at the right time. For attachments get attached to one going at the wrong time. That's why they don't wander at the wrong time, the awakened. Sights, sounds, tastes, smells, and tactile sensations intoxicate beings. Subduing desire for these things, one should at the right time enter for alms, meaning uh, begging for the food or uh, being available for the generosity of the townspeople to give food. Having received alms in proper season, a monk, returning alone, should sit down in solitude, pondering what's inside his mind state collected, he should not let his heart wander outside. If he should converse with a disciple, a monk, or anyone else, he should utter the exquisite dhamma, and not divisive speech or disparagement of others. For some retaliate against arguments. We don't praise those of limited discernment. Attachments get attached on account of this and that, for they send their minds far away from there. Having heard the Dhamma taught by the, well, the one well gone, the disciple of foremost discernment, having considered it, should resort to alms food, a dwelling, a place to sit and lie down, and water for washing dust from his robe. So a monk should stay unsmeared by these things, alms food, a dwelling, a place to sit and lie down, and water for washing dust from his robes, like a water drop on a lotus. As for, and so that, that completes the discussion of the protocol or right conduct, in one aspect of right conduct, or some aspects of right conduct for the monk. Then we get to the householder or layperson. And as for the householder protocol, I will tell you how acting one becomes a good disciple since the entire monk practice can't be managed by those wealthy in property. Because at the time, uh, original, original teaching, one of the <laughs> requirements for monkhood or being a monk or nun in the community was not touching gold and silver or money. Laying aside violence toward all living creatures, both the firm and unfirm in the world, one should not kill a living being, nor have it killed, nor condone killing by others. Condone means to approve of, it also means to incite, or meaning um, sort of say anything that's supportive of others doing so. Then the disciple should avoid consciously taking what's not given, which is actually also consciously, should avoid consciously what's not given, which really means don't be attached on what is not given, and don't take it. Anything, anywhere, should not have it taken nor condone its taking, he should avoid all taking of what's not given. The observant person should avoid uncelibate behavior like a pit of glowing embers. But if he's incapable of celibate behavior, meaning no sex, he should not transgress with the wife of another. When gone to an audience hall or assembly or one-on-one, -on -one, he should not tell a lie, nor have it told, nor condone or incite its being told. He should avoid every untruth. Any householder who approves of this Dhamma should not take intoxicating drink, nor have others drink it, nor condone its being drunk, 
knowing that it ends in madness. For from intoxication, fools do evil things and get others heedless to do them. One should avoid this opening to demerit, madness, delusion, appealing to fools. One should not kill a living being, take what's not given, tell a lie, nor be a drinker. One should abstain from celibate, uncelibate behavior, sexual intercourse, should not eat at night, a meal at the wrong time, should not wear a garland or use scents, meaning perfumes, should sleep on a bed, on the ground, or on a mat. It's actually should not sleep on a, on a high bed, or should be sleeping on the ground or a mat. And those, those are the eight. For this, they say, is the eightfold upasata, proclaimed by the awakened one who has gone to the end of suffering and stress. Then, having kept well accomplished the Eightfold Upasata on the 14th, 15th, and 8th of the fortnight, and on special days of the fortnight, monthly, with clear and confident mind, the observant person at dawn after the Upasata, confident, rejoicing, should share food and drink as is proper with the Sangha of monks. One should righteously support mother and father, should engage in righteous trade, right livelihood. One heedful in this householder protocol goes to the devas called self-radiant. And that's, um, I think, either a higher level of Kamaloka or could even be Rupaloka. Depends. It's I didn't find that level. Uh, it seems pretty clear to me if one consciously observes all of these um, sila, aspects of sila, the eightfold, the five and the eight, um, one probably hits 50, you know, 51% service to other, taking the raw material terminology. What is 51% service to other? What is harvestability from three to four, third to fourth density? Well, um, again, Ross said it's a certain degree of capacity to um, receive or make use of intelligent energy it's a certain contact with intelligent infinity or root to crown energy linkage uh, all the way from the bottom first chakra to the seventh um, that involves a certain capacity to channel intelligent energy or light or love light, love, light, light love right? all the same, prana, pneuma similar to kundalini uh, which means you can stand the light the light of fourth density which itself um, represents a certain degree of contact with intelligent infinity a certain degree of channel opening from root to crown a certain degree um, quality quantity vibratory um, field um, experience metaphysically of intelligent energy going from root to crown that's associated with the sufficient development of fourth chakra to be harvestable to fourth density, which also includes a certain balance of the primary rays, Ross said, 135. And so some degree of <laughs> um, love wisdom in interpersonal relations, third chakra and group relations, and some degree of um, honesty or wisdom, fifth chakra development, are also associated with harvestability to fourth density. Uh, I would imagine <laughs> that if a person follows Panchashila or Atashila, five or eight, 
uh, conscientiously and lives by that as much as possible and knows when one isn't, um, one would be harvestable to fourth density because it really is a development of harmlessness for the sake of others and self. Seems to be nothing wrong with that. And yet, I'm not sure if this realm of the devas that are called self-radiant um, is considered upper kamaloka, meaning what I would say is upper third density time-space, or fourth density, which I normally associate with rupaloka. So I may, <laughs> I may have to be corrected when I get upstairs um, as to my correlation between Buddhist 31 planes cosmology and the raw material seven dimensions. Um, that I'm not absolutely sure of. But uh, the root of Atashila, uh, which is presented at the bottom or close to the bottom of the sutta, in the John Ireland translation is uh, summarized very clearly um, towards the bottom of the page of the sutta for his translation. Do not kill a living being. Do not take what's not given. That's called not stealing. Do not speak a lie, which is just one aspect of right speech, not all of it. Do not drink intoxicants, uh, abstain from sexual intercourse, and that's how lay people who may normally drink um, or have sex um, don't do those things um, on the Uposata days. So that's one, two, three, four, five, and then six, seven, eight. Do not eat food at night, which is at the wrong time. Do not wear flower garlands nor use perfumes. And then finally, use the ground as a bed or sleep on a mat. So in Thailand, and I would think Burma, Sri Lanka, um, Buddhist monks and lay people um, celebrate or um, observe Uposata days, uh, as was written here, 14th, 15th. I think it's an overnight, it's an overnight ritual. And so it's, again, I think full moon and new moon, and then potentially others, other days of the month for some reason or other. And um, in Ireland's translation, he said, this is called the eight-factored observance made known by the awakened one who's reached the end of suffering. And the effect of those are very powerful. <laughs> and in the write-up from um, Mingun Sayadaw, Great Chronicle of Buddhas, the third link, I believe, that I sent, there's a section down the page, it's a very heavy, heavily uh, detailed page, uh, on what's called Atanga Upasatasila, Eight Precept of Observance. Right? Buddhism is very serious, and um, the root of it is uh, observance of moral codes. And that's um, associated, in, in many ways, that's the austerity that Gautama was teaching. Not the austerity of uh, eating a grain of rice a day or uh, beating your, yourself with a hickory stick or something or going to a mountain a waterfall in deep winter for self-purification. It's uh, a mental uh, asceticism. 
the asceticism or austerity uh, of uh, keeping the mind from getting stuck in grasping aversion, ignorance uh, of the mind, keeping the mind out of um, the defilements, the asavas, restraining speech and conduct, uh, right speech, right action, right livelihood, and that that those aspects of the eightfold path, right, the fourth noble truth, eightfold path being very well divided into Shila Samadhi Prajna, right, the three foundations. So I know anybody who's not into all this uh, probably is not interested, but this is detail as best I know it. Um, the fourth noble truth is itself the eightfold path, which can be, which are eight aspects, right, sama, right, or sama, the eight samas, right or correct, uh, ways of being and practicing and living, um, three of them pertain to sila. And as I said, right livelihood, right action, right speech, I talked about all that a lot. I'm not perfect, but I'm <laughs> trying to uh, continue learning. And uh, aspects of right action are clearly shown in this uh, eightfold observance. And so uh Mingun Sayadaw goes through the various meanings of the term uposanta and he he's uh, you know <laughs> he's sort of the master of um Buddhist scripture and of the five meanings uh the first is recitation of Patimoka which is the Buddhist the the um the Buddhist code, I mean, it's basically the entirety, what happens would be the entirety of um, the Vinaya, I believe, recited on Upasata days. Then it also has just the meaning of observance. And so uh, eight Upasata means eight observances, which are these eight that, are, that I just spoke there. Then it's called the Shila, which should be observed. So it's observance in general, and then the eight aspects of sila, or the eight atta sila, that should be observed. And then the day for observing sila, meaning upasata day. And so it's observance day. <laughs> Buddhism, this is what happens for people who study Buddhism, become Buddhist scholars. Uh, the mind is very well developed, and that's the, f the, the flowering achievement of that is someone like Mingun Sayadaw who could memorize thousands of pages of text. Okay, so it's observance, eight precept observance that uh, is very much associated with the foundation of spiritual path being shila, meaning observances of moral um, precepts. And then down the page there's a section called Navangya Upasata. And he explains that in Anguttara Nikaya, one of the portions of, uh, one of the tech, one of the sections of the Pali Canon, there's this exposition on Navangya Upasata Shila, which is uh, about nine precepts. So that's what I'm talking about, how You've got five, you've got eight, you've got ten also, and then nine. 
but the nine is really eight plus one. It's the ninth is not one of the normal aspects of sila, meaning the the, the numeral the the um, enumerated numbered uh, aspects uh, of morality to observe. The ninth is not actually one of them, but it's metta, loving kindness, and it has the it, he gives as the introduction to this sutta that talked about nine. Sheila, the nine precepts <laughs> is beneficial, advantageous, powerful, and um, he writes in enumerating them the nine. The exalted one, Gautama, expounds the usual eight precepts which we just saw, but ends up with the formula for the practice of loving kindness. And the phrase in English, because the Sanskrit, I don't want to mess it up. The English phrase is, I abide, or his translation, I abide with thoughts of loving-kindness directed to beings in one direction. And this gets very subtle in terms of the, the, the fine points associated with the practice of uh, Brahma-viharas. And so there's four Brahma-viharas, and they should be cultivated, not observed. And the first is metta, and the second, meaning loving kindness, and we did uh, the one of one of the metta suttas um, many weeks ago. The second is karuna compassion. The third is um, mudita sympathetic joy, and the last is upekka equanimity. And um, the first metta is considered the most powerful of the four, and that's interesting. This is new to me. Um, and Mingun Saidal here goes on and explains and says, according to the discourse, meaning from Anguttara Nikaya, this exposition on uh, Navangya Upasata Sila, ninefold observance um, morality, according to the discourse, to keep this Navangya Upasata Sila, after taking the usual eight precepts, one keeps on developing loving kindness. And that's very important, not just for its effects, but also um, so that one um, isn't doing spiritual bypass, <laughs> so that one is not stuffing one's desires. And um, the whole issue of how to work with desires that go against any of these five or eight um, observances of Sheila is another matter, which I can talk about a little bit later, but... <laughs> because I'm not a monk, you're not a monk, and um, we're not perfect, I'm not a perfect lay person of Buddhism either. And um, also, this is 25 years, uh, 2,500 years ago, and some aspect of this doesn't seem to fit um, in some sense. And one should be careful with that, um, like the discussion of drinking alcohol. So I'll get back to that also. But let me try to conclude one thing before I go back, jumping all, jumping around. A man who observes the eight precepts without any breach and keeps on developing loving-kindness, metta, is called an observer of the nine precepts. Loving-kindness is to be developed, whereby shila is to be observed, meaning the eight or the five or the ten. Therefore, to practice the nine precepts, 
one need not recite the nine precepts when taking the vow, which is done during those upasata days or when one becomes a, a formal Buddhist in the as a lay person or a monk. It is sufficient to take the usual eight precepts and to develop loving-kindness metta as much as possible. Then one is said to be practicing the nine precepts, navanya upasata. With regard, and here's the interesting material, um, or more interesting material to me, uh, regarding metta. With regard to metta, loving-kindness, as the exalted one, Katama, particularly mentioned ekam disam, diffusing loving-kindness with one direction in mind is more effective than doing so without minding the direction. And this is a little hint for, for us or those or when we do any kind of wish for all beings to be well and happy. It goes on, one should direct one's thought to all beings in the ten directions, which are the four cardinal points, north, south, east, west, the four intermediate points, and then above and below. So one should direct one's thoughts to all beings in the ten directions, one after another, beginning from whichever direction one wishes. Meaning, may all beings be well and happy. May all beings of the north be well and happy. May all beings of the south be well and happy. May all beings of the east be well and happy. May all beings of the west be well and happy. Then I guess you could say, may all beings of the northeast be well and happy. May all beings of the southeast be well and happy. May all beings of the southwest be well and happy. And may all beings of the northwest be well and happy. May all beings above be well and happy. May all beings below be well and happy. That's a heavy, <laughs> that's a heavy practice, my brother. More so than, may all beings be well and happy, um, and that's it. So, one should direct one's thought to all beings in the ten directions, four cardinal points, four intermediate points, plus above and below, one after another, beginning from whichever direction one wishes. Even though there are four sublime mental states, and um, I think that means four Brahma-Baharas, the exalted one, Gautama, takes only only takes loving kindness or metta and adds it to the eight, meaning the other ones were not added to the eightfold sila, thus prescribing the nine precepts, because loving kindness has a great power. That's why the exalted one has expounded the metta sutta in the Kudakapata and the Sutta Nipata, which we did. So that's why there's so many versions of the Metta Sutta and so many translations of it. It's the, one of the suttas in Sutta Nipata, if not the, that is most translated, meaning there are like four translations or five, while most others have two or one. Uh, why? Because loving-kindness metta is a big deal. And then he goes on, also in Anguttara Nikaya and some other places, are expounded the eleven advantages that accrue repeatedly to him who develops loving-kindness. So it should be cultivated. And we've got 11 values. <laughs> Very interesting for one who, um, he said, 11 advantages that accrue repeatedly, meaning they keep coming, uh, to the one who develops metta. And I'll just read them without doing the letterings. 
some creature just jumped on my stairs. It happens. Okay. He sleeps well in peace. He wakes up well in peace. He dreams no bad dreams. He is dearly loved by human beings. He is dearly loved by non-human beings. And this is uh, ogres and pettas. It's really yakshas and uh, hungry ghosts. He is protected by devas, meaning higher dimensional beings like him too, and protect him. He is not afflicted by fire, poison, and weapons. Mm. His mind is easily concentrated. His face is calm and clear. He dies unconfused. And if he cannot penetrate higher dhamma, meaning arahatta, maga, and pala, meaning the path of the arhat, meaning last stage, final stage awakening, or fruit, path and fruit, in this life, he will take rebirth in the Brahma world. Therefore, it is clear that loving-kindness is more powerful than the other three sublime mental states of compassion and sympathetic joy, happy for others' happiness, and equanimity. And so, mm, this is really lovely teaching, I would say, because... Um, one may um, fulfill atasila without a mind of loving-kindness. One may simply restrain from killing or having any being killed. Uh, one may simply take it as a rule to not take if something's not given or steal. One may simply um, perfectly and or imperfectly um, perform honest speech, no lying. Um, there are cases when, you know, uh, um, we do. <laughs> we do tell an untruth. Oh my, my Lord. And um, it's good to know. Um, but again, all of these may be performed in various states of mind. And this is where, I mean, again, it's like a little gem here. Uh, it's a good thing <laughs> to perform and this is maybe um, answers my question that uh, at the end of the sutta Gautama uh, said the layman, the Buddhist practitioner uh, not a monk particularly who carries it out diligently goes to the devas called self-radiant that uh, may well not be rupa loka they're called self-radiant uh, that, it's interesting, uh, Ireland just wrote it as a class of heavenly beings or deva, higher dimensional, what we would call positive path. A layman who practices this will after death be reborn as one of them. That's not necessarily fourth density because the state of mind of the person may or may not be of loving kindness. And therefore, a um, performance based morality rather than a heart-based morality. Uh, I don't do these eight activities that Gautama uh, listed um, as the eight precepts, the eight observances. I don't do them. But that person who, or me, or you, or anyone who observes these eight um, elements of, of sila, may not have a, a mind of loving-kindness, may not have a heart of metta, may not be truly heart-activated. They may simply 
stop themselves from doing things that they were taught are harmful. And that's the big difference. And so, uh, in Mingun Sayadaw's rundown, uh, saying that the last of the 11 benefits or advantages is that one will take rebirth in a Brahma world, that's higher, as far as I can tell, than Kamaloka. And so then, aha, they would be reborn in Rupaloka, it seems, from my understanding of Buddhist 31 planes, Brahmaloka. There's different, you know, a lot of words are used in, in different ways by different um, Buddhist traditions, and even different teachers may have different views of where's Brahmaloka and which of the 31 planes are of Brahmaloka. It's not just one of the planes, it's uh, a set of planes, most likely, I think it's really Rupa Loka, so it's of the three, Loka, Triloka, right, Kama Loka, Rupa Loka, A Rupa Loka, where Rupa Loka, I believe, is the Brahma world, and it looks to me like fourth density. And so, uh, one can be reborn, I would imagine, in a higher astral plane, like no solar <laughs> or above no solar but not necessarily for density by simply only mechanical physical performance of uh, atashila uh, or even panchashila 5 or 8 but um what really um is potent in soul evolution or evolution or development you know, <laughs> soul, no soul, it's just a word. Self, no self, it's just word. And so don't get caught up. You know, the, the one who knows words are empty can use words freely. Every Chan Buddhist knows that. And so uh, it looks to me like a performance of, um, I would imagine, five or eight-fold observances or sila. Uh, with the heart of loving kindness or metta develop leads one uh, to freedom from third density reincarnation. These particular 11 are also very interesting. Um, let me just see on the time here. Yeah, 4242. 42. Uh, I would just. Um, speak on the seven of the the eleven here because I think they're quite nice sleeping well in peace waking well in peace um, one's nighttime sleep and ari arising from sleep is peaceful why um, because uh, I would imagine seems to me one of the consequences of a determined commitment to this very uh, fine-tuned performance of metta, Brahma-Vihara, the, the Brahma-Vihara of metta, um, prayer, or sending, or uh, cultivation, is lower triad blockage clearance. Um, sending, may all beings be well and happy, in the north and in the south and in the east and the west and the midpoints and above and below um, uh, opens one's heart or opens green ray activates green ray strongly 
and that leads to clearance of lower triad blockage, and that leads to freedom from psychological conflict, and there is self-healing from it. In fact, okay, <laughs> this will now be another guidance to uh, for people in counseling uh, who are interested. This is one way to heal oneself emotionally, is to... Um, make a regular practice of sending metta to the ten directions. And so one sleeps well. I mean, it's said that um, uh, fitful sleep, uh, heavily dream-occurring, dream-active sleep, are signs of some kind of disturbed, deep-mind psychological process. doesn't mean you're bad. It means that there's... Ross talked about this, lower triad blockage or um, distortions that are being manifest in various ways through dream for deeper self-understanding for long-term self-healing. That will be done well simply by a determined practice of sending metta in the ten directions. So one feels peaceful, which just happens to be equanimity, the last of the Brahma-viharas, and can sleep well because one is not fighting oneself, um, then, and that's the third, he has no dreams, no bad dreams. <laughs> that's one reason he sleeps well. Um, and people who can fall off to sleep very quickly actually uh, generally have a good heart. People who are very committed. I've known some people over the years who basically within a minute they lie down there asleep every night. It's like that's the, their default is lie down, go to sleep, lie down and fall asleep right away. And that's an untroubled mind. And it's untroubled because it's either very simple <laughs> or it's well-developed in metta. Uh, there are people who are quite thoughtless and uh, like an animal go to sleep and fall asleep right away because there ain't much going on up there. And um, that's not the same as um, fine cultivation of metta. Then, um, four and five, uh, four, five, and six are very interesting. Uh, the successful, the regular practice of sending metta to the ten directions leads one to be worthy and um, deserving metaphysically, karmically, of being loved by many human beings. And um, that's an interesting matter. <laughs> you want you want to be loved, then be loving. And this is a practice of being loving, loving-kindness. It's more than friendliness. It's not emotionally grasping love. It's warmer than friendliness, but um, not as attached as love commonly ex uh, is, is uh, expressed. I love you means generally I want you. I need you. Um, it can also be, I think you're just so wonderful. <laughs> um, I can't say that I see all beings as so wonderful. Um, but it, I've had some experience like that. And one can, one can get into a condition of a great green ray activation. Um, like a peak, uh, peak, um, registration, peak register, peaking out. It's peak, you know, it's like uh, the the decibel Dolby, the, the Dolby meter peaked out in the red 
or here in the green, peeked out in the green, and um, I could one could have an experience where all beings are seen as uh, boundlessly precious, even the evil ones. Um, that's uh, a peek out, a peaked, peeking in the green ray, in a sense. Anyway, um, give love, get love. Um, one gets what one's given when one practices loving, kindness, deep care, you know, wishing all beings well in this very focused way, in the ten directions. It's a big deal, actually, to do it that way. Um, the love comes back uh, at the 3D space-time level and from time-space beings, too. Dearly loved by ogres and pettas. Even the ogres like you. So Suchi Loma didn't like Otama. Hmm, now that's interesting. Not all the yakshas will love you. Oh well. Some some yakshas... Some people... Somebody got... Somebody... I got a number of downvotes on the Suchi Loma Sutta for some reason. Maybe there are some yaksha admirers or somebody who thought I was rude to the yakshas. Some yaksha follower. But uh, Gautama was not dearly loved by Suchi Loma. Right? Hmm. So there are yakshas who... Um, there are dogs who are angry no matter what. I mean, Gautama was not dearly loved by Suchilama. <laughs> or in the Suchilama Sutta. Uh, but the yakshas and the hungry ghost petas, pretas, who are capable of love and care, will recognize um, a human being who has significant green reactivation. This is a path to green reactivation. That's really what we're talking about. And then, too, one may well be protected by devas, meaning higher dimensional beings like you, uh, because um, you're pretty, metaphysically. <laughs> um, great green ray activation is lovely. I mean, we've seen people who we think are beautiful, um, but it's not an outer beauty. It's the outer... Um, uh, seen with the radiance of love coming through. One may feel the radiance, the light, and um, feel something beautiful, that this is a beautiful being, because we're tapping into their heart. We're, we're resonating with their green ray, generally. And uh, devas who are uh, sensitive to this, much more than humans, will recognize that soul um, who's that way. There's a very famous story with uh, um, Shantideva, who wrote, uh, I think, Bodhisattva Vacharya, something, Bodhisattva, the way of the Bodhisattva, the teaching or way of Bodhisattva, Mahayana text. And uh, the devas knew him very well. So the devas are higher dimensional beings, um really are happy <laughs> with people who are um, developing love and love wisdom. Same thing um, with Howard Storm's near-death experience. Um, the angel or being that was with him doing life review um, was visibly pleased and um, heart-feelingful heart um, in the life review when he saw Howard Storm doing good, doing virtue, being of, of service and being kind and, and good, goodly to the people around him. And so higher beings uh, appreciate it as well. 
not afflicted by fire, poison, and weapons. This is the idea that Ra said, love is the greatest protection. Um, it depends. It doesn't wipe out all one's bad karma, but it certainly lightens any karmic load carried in from past lives, and it means that any kind of threat, environmental threat, like fire or drowning, uh, poison or um, mind control, <laughs> or uh, various forms of psyop, gang stalking, gaslighting, etc., targeted individual stuff, um, is coming into a moderately somewhat protected field, and therefore um, may well be absorbed by the, the love-based firewall and um, uh, dissolve and uh, not do harm. Uh, but there are many traditions, Buddhism too, uh, I think mythologized this type of point um, that development of spiritual power leads to some kind of absolute invulnerability. Well, yeah, Nichinanda, I think, could say that, but I think, um, and Gautama, but even though he had some attack and he had a thorn in his toe. So, uh, one the one sh should be a little nuanced with this, but sure, the more one lives in love and virtue, um, certainly with Panchashila or Atashila, these observance, observing those forms of restraint or careful conduct and speech, particularly, um, the less one will get harm on the return. So you live harmlessly, um, one experiences the world more, more so as a harmless environment. Harm doesn't come as much to the harmless. Yeah, sure, there are cases of people who are absolutely innocent. I mean, children who get harm, um, how can you say they're harmful? Well, then we're looking at past life karma coming out, and that's another matter. Um, but certainly there's a great protection from, in many different ways, from focused green reactivation. Then we have certain advantages or benefits that are very much support supportive of meditation and clarity and well-being. Mind easily concentrated, meaning to go into samadhi. Face calm and clear, uh, and you can see it on some people's faces, absolutely. If you know how to read a face, you can see who's troubled and who's not. You can see who's walking around with um, stressfully furrowed brow, forehead, and um, the one who's not. The one who's not may be thoughtless. <laughs> they may not be using the mind, um, but they don't look serene. They actually look dumb. <laughs> yes, there is dumb. Dumb is called rejection of learning, rejection of mental activity or development of mental function. There are some people who reject development of mental function, and they become non-discerning. And um, Katama said the way to discernment is um, uh, to k repeatedly go to those who are wise and worthy, meaning developed <laughs> Srila, Samadhi, and Prajna. They're worthy because um, they've made themselves harmless. Or they observe, they've, they've guard, they guard their mind and then guard their speech and guard their action so as to be harmless. That's a training. And um, 
the result of that is um, that um, their heart may be at ease. Uh, anyway, I think I tangled myself. So, some develop and some don't. Um, when one goes, when when one, you know, it's like just like Yeshua said, uh, "Seek and you will find." And so, going seeking, seeking truth consistently, seeking to learn, right? Learn, grow, help. Seeking to learn um, consistently, which means going to sources of information, or teachers, or teachings, or books, or seminars. Uh, whereby um, we may learn more than we already know or make integrations that we hadn't yet made. Uh, if one keeps doing that carefully, one will develop discernment. And the person that doesn't have much discernment uh, is the one who hasn't been doing that. And um, if they even more so reject learning or using mind, they could be called dumb or dull. And then they're trapped by negatives here. At least they're easily um, manipulated. And that's what we see, I see, a lot going on these days, unfortunately. So mind easily concentrated because there, there's vast, you know, great reduction of self-conflict. And the face shows it, being calm or clear. And um, uh, one may find truth all over the place and beauty all over the place and goodness right the true and the, the good and the true and the beautiful good akin to fourth ray true fifth ray beautiful sixth ray so when as far as i know um activation of green blue indigo leads one to perceive and experience uh, goodness and truth and beauty regularly consistently not everywhere all the time but um, all over the place, because there is um, goodness and beauty all over the place, and all sorts of um, presentations um, are full of meaning that can be discerned, and that meaning are, uh, gives us aspects of truth or reality that we can learn and know. And then, um, one of the most important here is he dies unconfused. Uh, it seems to me that probably the majority of humanity dies confused. And we see a lot of people very unwell today. And that's upsetting and distressing. And um, it's an interesting matter that um, this quite significant green ray activation, development of love, kindness, caring, well-being, the well-being comes out of it, but a desire, a wish that others are well in the ten directions, done as a consistent practice, um, leads one's mind to be clear enough to die without confusion, even though there's not necessarily some kind of great um, accumulation of knowledge or wisdom. One can die unconfused without vast learning because there's vast learning and people who are very unhappy there's uh, great learning great mental development with blocked heart <laughs> I mean that's what the negatives are all about negative use of wisdom without love and so 
one may have a very highly developed mental function, including fifth ray, with significant heart chakra blockage, and uh, one <laughs> what is not well very well, and not too calm, because uh, the mind is at war, and then that one commonly dies confused, and then finally the last is that one takes a takes rebirth in what seems to be rupa loka or therefore um, doesn't need the lessons of third density incarnation anymore because one has learned the the purpose of third density the purpose of third density to learn the ways of love so this is a very interesting combination that um, is not where I thought I would go when I first looked at Dhammika Sutta which is Dhammika Sutta and Atashila particularly Panchashila um, don't kill you know don't don't can also be spoken by those who are not monks and <laughs> those who are um, appreciative of the raw material which has a very different take which is not the shortest and fastest way home as Nityananda said where Buddha Dhamma and particularly um, the moral codes the observances uh, Panchashila, Atashila are aspects of go the fastest way back um, we're not necessarily um, doing that uh, Ra saying uh, all desires are proper for the entity at the right time and those that are unneeded will fall away naturally when <laughs> one brings love, wisdom or discernment and some analysis of consequences uh, to the experience of fulfilling certain desires not those that are harmful to other but those that are um, strongly desired <laughs> strongly sought for some reason uh, that's not a Buddhist approach and um, that means well we might speak a lie sometimes we may drink intoxicants or take drugs we may um, you know go not abstain from sexual intercourse or not be true to Panchashila Atashila certainly eating food at night this is where you get from 5 to 8 eating food at night or at the wrong time this is a discipline I don't think it's really a, a metaphysical matter other than the, the value of a discipline uh, which is common to you know the Buddhist monk way, the monastic way is no eat no meal afternoon, but it's secondary. That's why it's in the latter three that goes five to eight rather than in the primary five. So six, seven, eight is don't eat food at night, don't wear flower garlands or perfumes. Well, I don't know. You put a little sandalwood on your throat chakra or your ajna chakra. I don't think that's really problematic and it's okay to sleep on a bed rather than on the floor or on the dirt. Uh, the five are critical. Um, but the five or the eight with metta practice, with um, a disciplined approach to practicing Brahma-viharas, uh, particularly focusing on metta um, and directing it in one direction, that's the term, is the direct from uh, the the directedness one direction in mind more effective than doing so without minding the direction that's very important and i hadn't known that before 
and so that uh, carefully directed metta practice and Panchashila particularly I don't think that the latter three are that critical but the first five are at least attempting and then the real heart of it is do no harm uh, it's very hard living in the countryside not to kill ants that, that have no respect of territory it's very hard in all personal relationships or closer relationships to never tell a lie or always what and you see you can answer the question it's all it's all very subtle and i'm not going to get into it because it's you know, our time is over here but each one of uh, the the fulfillment of each of these is actually more subtle um commonly more subtle than they appear uh there is the potential i mean i've had the experience you take a take a glass of wine and feel more capable of deep communication it it may be obviously helpful some people have had all sorts of positive experiences from ayahuasca or uh, ceremonial medicine uh, or drugs whatever that's called uh, plant medicine all the different words people use uh, if I call it a drug, is that more honest than saying plant medicine? I don't know. Some people say drug, and it sounds bad. Some people say plant medicine, and it sounds better. Um, some people will say they've used those things, and um, they've benefited tremendously. Can we say that that's um, harmful to their evolution? Well, I don't think so. Uh, but it's not a Buddhist way. A Buddhist would say, no, just say no. Okay? That's why I'm not a monk. Mm, and everybody's got to find their own um, balance, their own um, authentic way of um, working with these moral codes or moral observances. Uh, we can see and I know I'm going to end it soon here, <laughs> going on to the next half hour. For from intoxication, fools do evil things and get others heedless to do them. Well, there are a lot of people <laughs> who take a glass of wine or a shot of whiskey or tequila or something and don't do evil things and get others to do them too. And this notion, one should avoid this opening to demerit madness, delusion, don't condone its being drunk, knowing it ends in madness. Well, you know, one glass of wine does not normally end in madness. Um, meanwhile, it can absolutely um, lead to a thoughtless activity or speech that harms self and other. Happens all the time. So, <laughs> yes, uh, it can be an opening to demerit, harm to self and other, absolutely. But that doesn't mean it always is. And somebody will say, therefore, you can do it. Somebody else will say, no, you still shouldn't do it. Somebody else will say, figure it out yourself. That's where I would go. <laughs> figure it out yourself. Because um, what's right for one, what's truly good for one may not be for another, and um, a strict observance 
um, may not actually be best for anyone either. Or for some it's perfect, and for others it isn't. And so, very subtle um, phenomena like like Nichinanda and the and the mutton um, apprentice, Nichinanda and the mutton apprentice, the man who was following in his uh, uh, avocation, family family work as a butcher of lamb, tried another work. And clearly, in Buddhism, you know, butchery is wrong livelihood. Meanwhile, Nichinanda said to him, uh, after his other work failed, go back to your uh, work that your father gave you, meaning continue as a mutton butcher. The, some Buddhists will say, yeah, you see, the, the Hindus are all screwed up. But he's a Hindu. Mm. I thought he would say, don't eat meat, and meat eating is evil. Mm. No. Other Hindus would say he's uh, fallen and he's uh, wicked and uh, controlled. So you see, everybody's got their view. Some Advaita Vedanta may say, yes, that's right. Some most strict Hindus will say, oh, that just shows he's wrong. Some Hindus criticize Gautama for eating meat. Some Chinese will say he didn't eat meat. <laughs> Theravadans will say, no, he really did. And so Theravadans today do as well. And some Mahayanists will say they're wrong, that's why they're in the Hinayana. So, mmm, the thicket of views. So, I think you've got to figure out things yourself. But I will just end on the point that um, um, regular practice of Metta Sutta, or Metta, really Metta Brahmavihara practice, in the Ten Directions, in directed to the Ten Directions. Uh, is very powerful. And um, I think there's probably lots... I mean, I could completely agree with this listing of all the benefits. And um, <clears throat> it's something to consider, something valuable for you to think about. Next time, we start Chapter 3 of Sutta Nipata, which is called Mahavaga, the greater chapter. And we read Pabaja, Pabaja Sutta, going forth. And um, interesting write-up from Tanasaro, King Bimbisara, struck by the young Buddha's radiant demeanor, follows him to the mountains to discover who he is and whence he comes. And so going forth is a term for going to the homeless life or becoming a bhikkhu or bhikkhuni. <clears throat> and... Um, this is um, applicable to us in the way of going forth out of delusion, <laughs> going forth out of desire, desirousness, anger, and uh, confusion and distortion, going forth into clarity and well-being, love, wisdom, and, um, and natural development. So, I hope it was useful to you. Thank you for being here. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.